1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next
0: adventure on Fishing Booker. From the palmetto swamps to the piney woods to the oak flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bow Hunter (laughs) Podcast. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Hey guys, welcome to episode three of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. For this week's episode, we were able to sit down with Warren Womack and go over all of his deer hunting tactics, stand locations, stand preferences, what he looks for in the woods, scouting. I mean, this man has forgotten more than we'll ever know about bow hunting, and he's got a fifty-year over a fifty-year history. Of deer hunting in the state of Louisiana and in the south. So this is a really exciting episode for us. But before we get started, we need to say a big thank you to our two sponsors. First up is Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana, one of the absolute best taxidermists in the state and the only one that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point in Orange, Texas for you to drop off your deer so you don't have to cape it out. And secondly, is Cousins Smokehouse, big Louisiana company growing by the day. They're in over 400 shops so far and in every grocery store, archery shop, and gas station that I can remember stopping in in the last three to six months. They're the home of the original pork jerky, some of the most flavorful and delicious and tender jerky you've ever had. So definitely something you want to be carrying in your hunting bag this season. So a huge shout out to them. And with that being said, let's get on to this week's episode. Well, uh, let's get started with this. We are currently in uh, Clinton, Louisiana. Is this Clinton, Louisiana? Bluff Creek. Bluff Creek, Louisiana. A little southeast of Clinton. And we are here with uh, with Lock Wheeler, who was on the first episode with us, and we we're also here with Mr. Warren Womack in Warren Womack's home out here on... Uh, how many acres do you have out here, we got 14. 14 acres, and unfortunately, I didn't get here, here in time to shoot your course, but... Tell, tell us a little bit about your archery course back behind your house.
1: It's a, a non-typical 3-D shoot that's like shooting stumps, basically.
2: Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> the property across the road
1: over there, a guy bought it, and he was making uh, mount heads, deer heads like you would mount, yeah. shoulder mounts and everything. He was making the forms for it and selling them taxidermists, And uh, they had a lot of uh, stuff that they couldn't use over there. And I wind up getting my hands up. I wind up with about 100 heads. And wow. Got 85 scattered out through the woods.
2: So yeah. these are just the foam core of, of deer mounts, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And they stop air. I've
1: had people shoot them with them hot compound bows. You know, my course is really set up for traditional archery. But, yeah. But uh, I've had a lot of guys with wheel bows come out and shoot it. And, and uh, it, it stops air. Air is easy to pull. They've been out in the weather for four years. and uh, the yeah. weather don't hurt them. The, the board on the back of it maybe rots out, but it doesn't hurt shooting the whole thing. That's great. I got the course set up where you got a good trail to walk around, and then you shoot off of the trail into the woods at targets, and you don't walk very far between the target. With eighty-five targets on fourteen acres, you know, you shoot one pull your air and you walk a few steps, and you shoot a nut. Just like around mini, around.
3: like mini golf, pretty much. Pretty
2: yeah. much, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, it's a blast. You know, I've had a lot of guys out here come shoot, and you know, we have a good time with it.
2: That's great. So, so we're out here, Bluff Creek, right? So we're out here kind of in between Greensburg and – uh, yeah. Like north of Pride, pretty much. Yeah. So a little north uh, north of Baton Rouge, northeast of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and Mr. Warren Womack is, is certainly no stranger to archery hunting or bow hunting or deer hunting in general. I'm I'm looking at, uh, I think, how many CDs do you think that is? I've
1: probably got uh, 80, 90 DVDs. Uh, DVDs Eight, uh,
2: there's a box in front of us. Yeah. We're in Mr. Womack's office right now in his home. And and there's a uh, the 100 pack Memorex box of CDs that comes when you buy blanks is full of filmed hunts.
1: Yeah, you know I've been filming since '91. Wow, I got my first video camera then, and and I actually got a season tape for ever deer and turkey season since '91.
2: Goodness gracious! You know
1: I compile all the footage and the end of the season I put it through an edit machine and go ahead and put it up. It's, it's another way of keeping records for me i'm big on journaling and, mm-hmm. and uh for me and when you journal you got video you got pictures and you got writings and uh and then st- uh, stats too i keep a lot of stats on everything you can imagine and then some so
3: i'm sure that helps you season after season too though oh, it you does. get a lot of data to refer yeah. to
1: especially I'm, I'm a feed tree hunter basically i like hunting feed trees both season early in the season which extends on into the late season too in mm-hmm. some places but uh You can you keep record all those things, and you keep the stats on it. You know where you got good available feed trees, and you know what's what you can go back and check on where you had shots. Yeah, I can't say just kills, but you you know you have sightings and misses and kills both. But I've had trees I went to back to year after year after year and and had success with.
2: Well, a couple of the things I'd like to talk about today is um, number one, a little bit of your style of hunting. Um, which I, I feel is very organic, very natural, very uh, honestly not to not to have a play on the word traditional, but almost a traditional style of hunting. You're not hunting over corn piles, you're not hunting food plots and things like that. You're doing what I what I call nomadic style, which is where you just bow and go almost in a direction. Am I right?
1: Pretty much. You know, I'm 74 years old now, so I've slowed down a whole lot, but I, I like to talk about the way i did it when i was in my prime yeah <laughs> and uh uh my whole thing was just to in daily in-season scouting that's where mm-hmm. I, most of my success come from you, these deer they change habits and they change the food sources randomly you know, quite often more than you would think and, and uh i like to find the feed trees which consist of soft mass and hard mass you know mm-hmm. you got your oaks with your acorns and you got your soft mass with your persimmons and your crab apples and stuff like that so I'm always walking and looking in my prime I would probably average walking two to four hours every day looking for the perfect place to set up on a deer during that walk I might find four different places depending on where I'm at and how big the area is and out of those four places I'll make a hunt off of one of them that's right for the wind and the time and and the direction I think the deer come from and then that evening i'll i'll uh after that morning hunt i'll go ahead and find another place and and uh and start looking again and then i'll set my hunts up in categories of the wind and and different aspects mm-hmm. of what i think i got my best chances even for five five places that first day the second day after a morning hunt i'm getting down i'm looking for some more places i always want yeah. to hunt the very best place i can find
2: maybe the first time you get there also a lot of times oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know yeah, I, I don't have a bunch of stands.
1: I, I recently went to saddle hunting this past season, mm-hmm. hunt out of saddle. But I, I was designing and making uh, lock-on stands before they were manufactured and available to yeah. the, for the public.
2: Now you still hunt out of? Is it a log you buy? You is that what what you've got? It's a lock-on limit. Lock-on limit. Yeah. Gotcha. And during hunting season, it stands in
1: one of three places. It's in the back of my truck. It's on my back or it's in a tree with me sitting on it. And when I go up, it goes up. When I come down, it comes down. I don't leave it staying in a tree.
2: Well, about almost this time last year, Locke and I, you know, Locke Locke is Warren's neighbor, lives literally across the street. Yep. Um, And uh, Locke helped me film something at his house in his front yard last August. And I remember it was last August because it was about 700 degrees. Yes. And I, I sweated about 80 pounds. of. If we'd have had the horse flies then, oh my God. that we have this year, we would not have made that. Video well, we did right? a video. We did a video on, uh, how to, what was it? Like how to get to 20 feet with four climbing sticks and a, and a lock on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you, you don't know this. I haven't told you this yet, but you've actually had a big impact on the style of hunting that I do. um, because of you have some, I don't want to call them buzzwords, but you have some descriptors of how you hunt that kind of stick. One of which is uh high percentage hunts. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then you also, I, I don't, I don't know what you call it. I, I've always called it a nomadic style of hunting, which is where you're hunting a place the first time you get there. Right. And just to clarify, I'm not talking about scouting midday, finding a spot going back to the truck getting your stand and coming back i'm talk- what you do if i'm un- if i'm not mistaken is you take everything with you <laughs> and you scout while you you hunt while you're scouting pretty much right. am i correct
1: yeah you know I, I, my favorite way to to kill a deer is to go to a place i've never been yeah and just get all this, everything i need to find a deer set up on him kill him get him out of the woods totally independent without outside help I take a lot of pride and a lot of pleasure out of being uh, self-sufficient when yeah. I'm hunting. Strictly solo, you know. I've had some good hunting buddies and everything, but we never hunted together unless we were filming. We'd mm-hmm. always go different ways, and, and we scout together, and we compare notes and everything. But, you know, as far as hunting together, we didn't. But, yeah, yeah, I like I to load up with everything I need and start walking and looking. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking for a tree that makes me hunt it. I don't want a tree that I have to walk around trying to make myself it. You know, yeah. you'll, you'll see a tree that, that looks good and it's got some sign and everything, but the more you look at it, it you find out you're trying to make yourself it. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's a I great want. point.
1: Yeah. I, I want to find a tree that's so hot and so ready that I can't walk away from it. Yeah, you can't pass it And if it I got up. all my equipment with me and stuff I need, you know, I just climb right there. Pick a tree downwind, hopefully to get it within – well, I shoot trad bows, so I want to get within 15 yards of mm-hmm. the tree. And if you got a great big old tree with a big crown, I can be 15 yards from the tree itself and have a tree have a deer feeding on the other side of that tree yeah. with a big crown, and he might be out of range for my shooting style. Yeah,
2: I agree. Well, I, I hunted all traditional last year as well, so I'm uh, very in tune with the, the handicaps of uh, traditional hunting. Right. Um but uh, do you know do you know Garrett Ramsey and then another gentleman named Chase Metz? I do. So so both of those guys it, it, separately are friends of mine. I, I don't. I'm not even sure if they know each other, but they both hunt with a very similar style, which is pretty much walk in a direction, and if you find sign hunt it that evening or that morning
1: i wonder where they got that from
2: i don't know i don't i've never i've never heard anybody say that before right and and so but here's the here's the thing and this is one of the things that i'm trying to i hope comes across through this podcast series and just louisiana bowhunter in general is this isn't a show about me and how i hunt or how Locke hunts or even how warren womack hunts it's 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 what can the listeners learn from how other people do it Right. And and long before I even spoke with you, Warren, I've been hunting that style for two or three years for one simple reason. It's effective. It always puts you, in my opinion, on the front line of new deer area. You're you're um, hunting most often less pressured deer because, you know, you're not trying to you're not trying to sneak into a lock on that's got a food plot or a, a feeder 50 yards from it. Where the deer know this is this is a trap, yeah. you know. You, you're you're trying to sneak into their bedroom, and them never have any clue until they have an, a hole in them, right?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cliche. You know, the first time you hunt a place is your best chance, but, but, it's the but, truth. but yeah. that wasn't always a known factor, you know. And, and a lot of people it took them a long time to find that out.
3: I, th- I think a lot of people still. You, know, I know, you hear a lot when guys go on a um, travel to hunt. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the idea that you sit in one place long enough, that deer you're there, That he's eventually going to walk by. Yeah. So people put hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the same spot under the presumption that the more hours I put into this spot, eventually I'm going to be there at the right time. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, I, I, I guess... You better
2: be there at three in the morning. Well, yeah. I, but I think
3: the one thing that, that we can um, distinguish for us here as opposed to where that you hear that a lot up in the midwest well if there's a herd of deer that live in a hundred acre block of woods around five thousand acres of agriculture field Mm -hmm. i mean yeah if you hunt the wind around that block of woods for five days eventually you're likely going you know but here where we you know it's very different here so uh yeah
2: well i had i had a good friend of mine one time he when i was getting into bow hunting he had been out of it for a while he was He was over it. He was obsessed with ducks, still is obsessed with ducks. Um, And he's killed hundreds of deer with his bow and with his rifle. He grew up – it just means nothing to him pretty much. And he goes, I don't see why people like deer hunting so much. The only thing you have to do is figure out where the deer are and where they want to be and just get in the middle. And I was like, well – you make it sound a lot easier. Than yeah. He goes, but he goes it's like it's like hunting cattle. They, they're going to go a certain way, path of least resistance primarily, and you just figure out your best guesses of where they're coming from and where they want to go. Well, I think one
3: thing that Mister Warren said, uh, kind of in our introduction here, was. They do change so much, absolutely, oh, absolutely. and and they in a lot of factors. Our weather patterns as they change in the fall, the hunting pressure that changes throughout the fall, the food sources, the food change. sources that change. Yeah. So that that does throw a little bit of a, a kink into yeah. that very simplified uh, concept. Well, duck
2: hunting, you know, it's just shooting birds out of the sky. That's not hard, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Fishing's mean, just putting a hook in the water. Right. You know, we can do that yeah. with anything. Yeah. Well, Warren, how, how tell us a little bit? How did you develop a style of hunting, or do, do you even call it a style of hunting? Is this just something you've always done?
1: It's the only way to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> there no,
2: is no other style. Yeah. When I first
1: started bow hunting, you know, what it it wasn't not many people were doing it you know i was one of the first few in this area that started and you didn't have any any video opportunities online opportunities to educate yourself i mean it was
2: mm-hmm. you had
1: to get out there and trial and the area and i looked at it like a four-year apprenticeship you know it took me about four years to get the hang of it and then once i got the hang of it it was just a matter of perfecting it and mm-hmm. and working hard at it to get the most out of that method you know but ev- ev- the way i hunt my style of hunting I've got several friends that that we all hunt basically the same way. We have a few little different uh, twists and turns that we do, but the the main flow of what we do is real similar. And mm-hmm. and they kill a lot of deer. Yeah, they, they've been real successful.
2: And and it's uh you know this is we're talking about this uh this week, this is the about the, the second week of June right now. But um, this week, wildlife and fisheries just. Dropped the feeding ban on the three parishes around where they found CWD in Mississippi, and there's been a lot of mixed feelings about that. You've got, um, a lot of people that are, and I'll just say it, they are addicted to hunting a human supplied food source, they, they can't break away from that's it. That's all they know, that's it, and and That's fine. It's legal. Do what you want, hunt how you want. If you want to, if you want to shoot deer, you know, three minutes after it gets light and two minutes before it gets dark, that's a great way to do it. Um, and there's another group of people that are actually kind of upset with the fact that it got lifted because they would like to see the state go to no feed whatsoever, which, um, you know, the, I think the only problem with that is that um, Louisiana is such a diverse area to hunt. I mean, think about everything we've got. In one state, we've got everything from hunting the marsh of... You know, let's say Cameron Parish or all the way down in Terrebonne Parish. You've got marsh where you literally have to take a, a boat to get there all the way to Palmetto Flats, the Tensaws and the Felicianas and all the way to the wood. It, it's not like we're hunting Nebraska, where Nebraska is one, the same thing, terrain over same and over. Habitat. And so it's, you know, it's there, it's a double-edged sword. It's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, I don't want to hunt over corn. But that doesn't fit everybody's puzzle how they hunt, hunt in the state. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I will say, since I've broken away from that majority, um, like majority of the time, broken away from from feeding or having something like that, where I'm attracting deer into a spot m- rather than going to where they want to be. Um, I've had such so much more uh, exciting seasons. I've seen more deer in person going to that because. You are where the deer feel comfortable, not drawing them. That's what you said. Yeah,
3: the experience, actual experience with the deer. Mm -hmm. What you observe in the woods is so much different than, you know, watching a a, a deer cautiously and nervously approach a feed area. Right, And uh, you're hoping the wind doesn't swirl, Mm -hmm. and they're hoping the wind does swirl. It's hard
1: to kill deer over feed. It really is. I think it's harder to do them like that than it is. You know, uh, those deer catch on quick. I, I think... Feeding deer is what really helps make them uh, nocturnal.
2: That's a good and, point. Uh,
1: yeah,
3: it's it. That's valid.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, let's think about it. let's think about it from the, the deer's the deer's point of view. You know, a deer grew up has never had cor- dried corn in its life, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's this you know perceived gift from the heavens. Well, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's,
3: uh, I tell you what's funny. It's such a um, it's become such a A predominant part of our hunting culture that I have actually been. uh, I find this hilarious. And then, and when I state it out loud, some people look at me for a minute and then a big grin pops on their face. They realize I've actually been up in in the Midwest and I go up there every year and hunt. And I've actually had guys in camp want to pour out a pile of corn on the edge of a cut cornfield. Really? (laughs) (laughs) And well, what if we put some corn? I'm like, you realize. You, you, that, you, you know
2: what you're saying, right? <laughs> like, uh, hold on, just a minute. Should we put a water trough next to this pond? Yeah, yeah.
3: Like, I mean, um, there's a thousand acres of corn out there on the ground. That's why you're hunting this, right. you yeah. know, this 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 field edge. There's really no reason to pile up corn in front of your stand.
2: Well, you know, to to kind of uh, keep from sounding like a bunch of you know, purists that we might. Yeah. Be coming across uh, right now warren why don't you tell us a little bit about your success hunting this way in this style and and uh and how many I, i've heard you on some other podcasts talk about how many deer you've killed and things like that why don't you tell yeah. some of our listeners about your history with your hunting
1: well uh you know i, I, I always consider myself a bow hunter but uh, i enjoy hunting with a gun too you know i've mm-hmm. hunted with a muzzle muzzleloader and everything and now that in my older years i'm not hunting as much with a bow as I used to. I'm kind of getting about 50-50 with the bow and the gun. You know, I'm pretty much hunting bow hunt when the bow season's going on, the gun hunt when the gun season's on. Mm-hmm. Totally, you know, and I keep a lot of journals and a lot of lot of written records and, and everything, so I know exactly how many deer I killed and everything. And I've actually killed 380 and, uh, eighty 83 deer i've killed 175 with a compound bow i've killed 105 with a recurve bow and i've killed 103 with a with a
2: rifle 105 105 with a recurve right so that's 105 deer with a recurve under 20 yards well not necessarily well <laughs> ish. <laughs> I, ish let's
1: put it like this I, my average shot would recurve bow is is 15 yards mm-hmm. for, for, for 105 kills mm-hmm. now the longest shot was 45 i was on the ground walking and i had a buck pushing a doe out through the woods it was during the midday i was actually scouting late season for nut all acorns in a big yeah. oak flat and I, I saw this doe running and the buck come running behind her and, and uh and she stopped and he stopped and and I had two vines parallel with each other about 10 foot in front of me, and I had to squat down and for the air to have the right trajectory mm-hmm. to go to him. It was just, just one quick, smooth motion, and the air was gone, and it went right to him.
2: That's awesome. And I,
1: I, I, marked, I had a real good landmark where he was at when I shot him, and then I dropped some toilet paper where I shot from, and I stepped it off. I stepped off 45 long steps, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty tall, so... I, I could take a yard step easy, so yeah, yeah. forty-five yards. And I, I couldn't I, believe it, so I, uh, I stepped it back. And oh, it was! T- I should have shot that same shot fifty times. Probably never hit him again. It was just—it just clicked.
2: And that's—I mean, that's—that isn't that just the definition of instinctive archery? It
1: is. And the, my yeah. shortest shots have been three yards, you know, out of a tree stand. So wow but but when you look at my compound 175 compound kills i think my average shot distance is 16 yards mm-hmm. so i'm hunting the same it's just using different weapons
2: that's know? the exact that is the exact reason why i i devoted the entire 2017 season to traditional hunting was mm-hmm. was the fact that i had killed with Garrett Ramsey i had killed a, a really big nice 10 point on public land and that was my sixth deer that year in fact i went into it uh, I killed five deer by Christmas with my mm-hmm. bow. One of them was a nice eight point. Uh, 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 Garrett started inviting me to go hunt with him. And I passed a very nice eight point my first hunt with Garrett. Mm-hmm. And it was the exact same size as the one that I killed the week of Christmas. And I, I thought to myself, I said, you know, I I don't need to be a glutton. I don't, you know, I don't need necessarily to kill a deer for meat. That deer is the exact same size as the one I killed for Christmas. So I'm going to let it walk. I don't, I don't need to don't have to kill it and Mm -hmm. i've got to say that's probably one of my the best feelings i've ever had bow hunting is not having to kill a deer you know and just enjoying them being near you i think that's my favorite part about it but um anyway i killed a nice deer with with garrett a week and a half after that and i thought about it my longest kill was 69 yards that was with a compound and that was a poke. That it's was a long shot. That is a. That is a. And that. And I. I did. I did it with a single pin. Hha. So I, I had the yardage out to by yard out to eighty yards. So
1: he was at a food plot or something.
2: No, I missed him at thirty four. <laughs> <laughs> i missed it yeah so i said well why not double this you know it's something
3: wh-? about that starvation bee oh
2: man and so <laughs> <on> that second <laughs> time man and so so what <laughs> happened was i was i had killed a doe this is january 9th 2016 and i remember it very well i killed a lemon of mallards in Sherburn in the broken in the uh timber that morning with my friends and i came and made an afternoon hunt and um a doe came out about 20 minutes before it got dark, and I shot her at 12 yards, and she ran 20 yards and, and died in some grass. And then three minutes later, another doe came and literally stood right on top of the illuminated Luminoc arrow st- stuck in the in the dirt. Right. And she got spooked. She knew something wasn't right, and she, she kind of bolted. Um, and then, I mean, 80 yards behind that doe, was a, was the biggest deer I'd ever killed before. Well, was going to eventually. And he came at 34 yards, and I did that thing where I didn't bend at my waist. I dropped my bow arm instead of bending at the waist and keeping my form correct. And if you do that, you'll shoot high every time. And I shot right over his back at 34 yards, never touched him. He didn't really know what happened because he was obviously in rut. And then he started running after the doe that bolted because that's what he thought the noise came from. And then all of a sudden, he's on a little road. I'm hunting a field edge. Um, he's on a little road, and he just stood there and stood there and stood there. And I, I swear to you, I watched him for 10 minutes just look around and stand in the same spot. And I doe bleated and I grunted. I did everything but beat my bow against the tree trying to get him to come closer. And finally, I, I stared at him long enough, and I said, I can do this. i can shoot him from here the power of belief yeah and and and, you know self-confidence and so i i literally i looked at him i ranged him twice he was a 69 and i bolted i i I turned that dial to 69 on my sight and uh and i let it rip and i shot him through the heart straight through the heart i'm not i'm not trying to sound like you know cliche i shot him through the heart you know it that literally that arrow went in through his back left rib he was quartering away and it came out his front right shoulder, and it went straight through his heart. Yeah. It was incredible. It,
3: it was, was meant to be. It was meant to be. Those kind of things, you know.
2: But but back to why I went to traditional hunting was other than that shot, every deer that I'd killed, almost 90% of them were under 20 yards. Right. And and I had such a successful season. I remember my train of thought at the time. I had such a successful season uh, the year before that I said, well, how can I ruin this? How can I How can I completely blow all my confidence in my archery ability? I have an idea. Let me go to a recurve. That's a great idea. And so I did that for a full year, and I told everybody that I came across that I was going to hunt with a recurve, and, uh, and I did it. And it's kind of the most fun I never want to have again. <laughs> yeah, well, you,
1: well, you know, when I first started bow hunting, I didn't have a choice. It was, uh, I did have yeah. a choice. It was a recurve or a longbow. They didn't have uh, yeah. compound bows. And I started off, I think I killed 17 deer with a, with a recurve, and then the compound bows come out in 75. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, uh, I, had, I was going to Colorado, had a trip planned to Colorado, and three days before I went, I got a call from a guy in Baton Rouge who had a little backyard archery shop. And he told me, he said, Warren, he said, I got three compound bows in. I said, I'm going to take one. i got another guy who wants the other one. Do you want the other one? Well, I'd never seen a compound bow before. I'd seen them in magazines, and then I heard of them, read about them. Yeah. And I instantly said, yeah. So I got that compound bow, and it took me a, a day to get it set up, and I shot it the next day. And the next day, I brought it to Colorado. I'd been shooting my recurve, and back then, shooting recurve, we always used sights on them. Mm-hmm. And I had my sights set out for 45, 50 yards on that recurve, a line of pins and everything. I didn't even bring it. I just brought the compound bow, you know. And then I come back and I hunted with a compound bow through the '92 season, and I just I just wanted to go back to a recurve. I, I set aside myself for a wheel bow, and I said I'm gonna go back to a compound. I've been I'm in mean a recurve. I've been reading a lot of stuff with traditional archery and everything. Mm-hmm. So I made a commitment. I said I'm gonna get me a I'm gonna get me a recurve, and I just ordered out a catalog. I said I'm gonna commit to one year for this thing. I said I'm gonna kill a deer, and I was used to killing a lot of deer every year. And I said, I don't care if I don't kill a deer. I'm going to hunt the whole season with it. I'm going to make it work. Well, I, the August the 15th, I went to South Carolina. They got a, a season opens up early there. And I missed three rack bucks with that, with that recurve. And I started doubting myself mm-hmm. and other things, but I stayed with it and wound up killing. I had, I th- think I killed six bucks and three does with it that first year back with a recurve. So I said, well, I'm hooked. Well, I had a friend of mine, and I took a lot of time off from work. You know, work came secondary for me. Hunting came primary and I took a lot of time off work. And one of my coworkers asked me, he said, said you're hunting with a stick bow now? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you? He said, you're taking a lot of time off from work. And I said, yeah, I know. It. I said, that's not important. And uh, he said, well, do you have the best stick bow money can buy? If you're going to lose all this time and money not <laughs> working, you know. I said, I don't think I do. And he said, well, I suggest you you get the best you can buy. So I thought about it, and I said, you know, I'm going to do that. So I went to a couple of 3-D shoots, and, you uh, know, I had my mind made up I was going to get a black wooded bow. Mm-hmm. And then I shot a Cadyn Woods, and that changed my mind right there. Man, that Kaden Woods felt so good. So I called Tim Mullins, and I and, uh, told him I wanted a bow and what I wanted and everything. And then now, what,
2: now, what year is this?
1: That was 1994.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, and So he made me a Kaden Woods Carbon Signature Edition bow. 58 pounds, a 28-inch draw.
2: Now, that's what's hanging above you right now, right?
1: That's it right there hanging above my head. Now,
2: that's the tree stick? No,
1: that's the Carbon Signature Edition Recurve. Gotcha, gotcha. He's got his signature on the other thing. It was so early in Caden Woods, they don't even have a serial number on it Yeah, before we started putting serial numbers.
2: Well, you know this— and by the time this episode comes out we'll, we will have released the acadian woods episode but um we interviewed tim I, we interviewed tim mullins uh, almost two weeks ago yeah um because they're they're obviously back in major production mode again yeah and they've got another bow coming out for you
1: i understand that yeah. yeah
2: i can't tell you what it looks like i've seen the riser of it yeah. uh you're well, gonna I, like it
1: yeah i'm looking forward. it now this bow up here uh tim Coleman, me he was in in the in the process of making another everything, he called me and said, Look, he said, I got your bow ready to shape your handle for you, for your hand. And I said, Well, good. And he said, Well, you need to come over here so I can, you know, let you feel it and, and trim it on down. And I said, That's a two hour ride. <laughs> I said, Just put it any kind of way you want. I don't care. I'll, I'll get used to it. And he said, No. And this is the way Tim is. He said, No, this is a handcrafted, custom made bow. I said, I want it, I want you to, I want it to fit your hand the way you want it to said all right so me and my son rode over there and, and sure enough you know he'd, he'd whittle on a little bit and I'd grab it and I said we well, cut a little more here and a little mm-hmm. more there and he worked it down to where it is now and I said man that's that feels good and he said do you want to shoot it and I said well Kenny you know what finished anything he'd been whittling on it right there while I was there and I, he said yeah it won't hurt to shoot a couple of times so I went out there and I shot three or four hours and Tim really didn't know who I was he didn't know nothing about my hunting history mm-hmm. or anything you know, after I shot a few arrows, I, I looked at him. I held that bow up, and he'll probably remember this, and I'm guaranteeing he'll confirm it. I said, Tim, you see this bow right here? And he said, yeah. And I said, you'll never make another bow. It's going to kill as many deer as this one is. <laughs> kind of popped off. That's and he, awesome. looked, he looked at me like, who is this guy? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, you think so? And I said, yeah, mark it down. So, uh, and, and since I've had it, I've killed 77 deer and 11 hogs. Really. With, with
2: that one? Yeah. Wow, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But what's it made out of? It's red elm and Bacotti. I
1: don't know. It's carbon. I, I don't know. I, I'm not that technical on stuff. If it feels good and it shoots good, I'm good with it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that one's 58 pounds, what, a 28 inches, right? right? Yeah. Now t- what's What's your new bow going to be? Well, I'm getting the old man's edition here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make it 45 pounds at 27 inches draw. I'm, I'm a snap shooter. And I, I really don't pull at 28 inches more. There was a time when I did, mm-hmm. but I don't pull that no more. And 27 is going to be just right. There you go. And maybe it'll help me on my snap shooting. You know, you said no stands. I can, I can shoot. I shot probably over 200 arrows yesterday. A friend came over and we shot my course yesterday, and over 200. I don't have any problem shooting it. But when you're hunting in a tree and you're sitting there three or four hours and you get cold and stiff, and a deer comes in, you're nervous. You want to shoot that deer more than you want your next breath. Yeah, and you get a little nervous, and and it gets hard to draw it back.
2: <laughs> it, it Well, that was that has been my problem with with hunting traditional. It's it's hard for me to hit my anchor, draw it all the way back. You're right. It's the only thing that's harder than drawing that bow back for me is fighting the urge to not release it early, right? Because I want to shoot the deer. And that's something that we don't, we don't experience with a compound. Hey,
1: I've been fighting that all my life.
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and I'm a snap shooter, and that's just
1: kind of bad anyway. I'm not a real good shooter. I'm, I'm good enough, I guess, you know, to get by. I miss, miss some deer. I ain't going to lie to miss oh, yeah. a lot of deer. But when I start drawing, and I don't have an aiming method. It's strictly instinctive. I'm just looking at where I want the air to hit. Mm-hmm. I start pulling that thing back, and I don't feel any pressure at all until I get about three inches from my face.
2: I've got a question for you. What there's not a lot of people that we can talk to these days that can tell me what their first reaction was of the original compounds. But what was your thought going through your mind when you held and shot a comp, the, the first compounds, man, you're talking about a long time ago. I know. <laughs> I, know.
1: I tell you what, I, I liked it enough where I'd been practicing all summer to go to Colorado with my recurve.
2: And I, I didn't hesitate. I didn't even bring it with me. And you I gave it, up. you yeah. gave it, gave up the, yeah. the trad bow for it, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. Now, what was it? We, are we talking like a bear whitetail? Oh no, they didn't have that. That Was before that. This was a Carol model fifteen hundred. Carroll. I, I think that's what yeah. Carroll model fifteen hundred. I, I
3: remember Carol. I, I can. Remember I'll have to Google that. The name Carol. Yeah. In the original bows that I, I've, I've seen I, in bow I hunted with
1: it a couple of years, and then I went to a a, a PSC Laser Magnum. I think I mm-hmm. hunted one year with it. I didn't didn't care for it, and then I got a Jennings Air Star. I hunted with it I, I notch all my bow. i put kill marks on all my bows on those metal risers i'd take a little file mm-hmm. cut a groove in i got a bow in there it's got 80, 80 marks on it wow. pat my last one and i went from the uh jennings air star i went to a, a high country trophy hunter and then from the high country trophy hunter i hunted five years with it and then i went back to the recurve bow
2: now were you shooting releases or you shooting fingers well,
1: I shot a release. If I started off with the Carol and the Air no, Star, with the Carol, and I shoot fingers with it, but when I got the Air Star, it wouldn't shoot a straight air, erratic air with fingers. Mm-hmm. And Carol, uh, Carol, Charles Lee Buller, we bought twin bows. We both got the same bow, the Jennings Air Star. And uh, he was shooting a release aid, and I was trying to shoot fingers, mm-hmm. and I couldn't shoot. I couldn't shoot my arrow. I said, Is your bow shooting an erratic air? And we only lived about two miles apart, you know, a mile and a half apart. And he said so I went over to his house and I said, Shoot my bow. So he took my bow and air and shot it and it was perfect. And I shoot it and air was everywhere. Hmm. And then and then I said, Well dang, I said something's wrong. And then he took he took I took his bow and shot his with with my fingers and and then he shot it with his fingers. and So I took my, my bow at his release, and I shot it, and it had a perfect air. So I said, you know, this bow's just not going to shoot with fingers at all. So uh-huh. I went to a release aid then and stayed with it. That's and then just, when I went back I- to a recurve, I started shooting a glove. And then I don't know if, I guess I, the, the grooves in the glove got, got too deep or something. and I started getting an erratic air flight, and mm-hmm. I went to a tap. By then I was operating a camera. I was filming my hunts and everything. And it was a lot easier to work the camera with a tab than it was with a glove too yeah. so it helped out and plus I got a much smoother release, but looking back, I might have just needed a new glove you know that didn't have such a deep grooves in it, so yeah it, it, it all worked out
3: i've never I've never been able to figure how anyone really effectively shoots fingers with a compound bow yeah uh, i it's always been a mystery to me how. And I know some people do
1: it. Tim Wales does a pretty good job. Don't he he? Yeah. does.
3: <laughs> but I, I I can't figure out how Tim Wales does most of all the <laughs> stuff he does. So he is the exception. He's
2: amazing by man. far. He is. Well, he's he's shooting the the Oneidas today, isn't he? I yeah, believe he's shooting those Oneida bows. Yeah.
3: It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He could well, start throwing rocks. You know the hard stuff the, would
2: die. The, the the hardest part the hardest part with shooting the fingers with a compound is it, compounds these days are are so short. They've got such a short brace height that by the yeah. time you get all the way back, your your fingers are pinched so hard. Right. I mean look at I remember the Creed XS is twenty eight inches. The, the the Triax is twenty eight inches. PSC just came out with the Evolve twenty eight to answer the the Triax, And twenty eight inch axle to axle bows with a twenty nine or thirty inch broadhead. I mean broadhead, sorry, draw length twenty nine or thirty inch draw length when you have a D loop on it, even the D loop is pinching. That's how that's how extreme of an angle it is. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you know, shooting shooting fingers these days is definitely a lost art. It's it's definitely something you don't see very often, other than Tim Wells. Yeah. Um, and a trad
1: bow world. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> tra- and even
2: yeah. he, I
3: mean, he couldn't do it at that angle either. No. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he. Sh- I don't know what he shoots, but I'm assuming it's 35 or greater.
2: Yeah, you need a longer axle axle bow. Yeah. You know um well i'd like to i'd like to hear a little bit of, about how how you've been hunting out of a tree stand. i know you have multiple methods of getting up a tree can you talk us uh a little bit through how you uh how you get to the top
1: yeah well it all started with or uh, tree climbing spurs you know what i mean mm-hmm. and just just like a lineman does climbs a pole with i start off with actually the pole hooks they got two different kind of gaffs. you got a pole gaff and a tree gaff and the tree gaff is, is quite a bit longer than the pole gaff and I start off a pole gaff, and no matter how long the gaff is, it only goes penetrate the tree so far, you know. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have an advantage of being able to have a deeper depth of of, uh, of step in your tree, you know. So, But I, I use those pole gaffs and, until a, a friend of mine, I, I helped his son with some stuff, and, and uh, he gifted me a pair of aluminum spurs, which a pair weighs about the, like one of the old iron would uh, Arm was dead, so you know that was a big benefit, and it had, it had tree gas which is longer. And really, the only advantage is if you're climbing a real viney tree, mm-hmm. or, or something like or irregular shaped tree, it gives you a little extra length with them. But uh, disadvantage is, your foot doesn't have any contact with the tree, and you, you want to pivot. Your foot mm-hmm. wants to pivot around on that point. So anyway, I hunted with that, and you know climbing different trees all the time and being very mobile. I've hunted as many as five trees in one day. You know, I hunt a tree an hour and a half. Instead of hunting all day in one tree, I'd rather, if I had, like, one place is good for a morning hunt, one midday, and and that, you know, I'd rather move and, and hunt multiple places than I would just sit in one place all day long, waiting for something to come along. So mm-hmm. it was real good for that. I'd climb a tree just like walking up the steps, you know, and and it's easy to hang the stand. stands were light and all that, and then, uh, another method in '83, I, I made a hunt in Alabama, and I found out about the uh, Jerry Simmons woodpecker drill. That you you drill a tree, and you put a grade eight hardened, th- uh, six inch, three eighths grade eight hardened bolt into, and you, you don't have to screw it in. You just drill a hole about two inches deep, and you insert the bolt as you climb. And now that's
2: a hand drill, correct?
1: It's a little hand drill, but they also make a. Uh, jerry simmons he when he sold his business to the new owner he he still makes the broadheads and everything but he did he he discontinued the, the drill mm-hmm. i think for liability purposes maybe he, he discontinued it but they got an outfit called easy cut mm-hmm. easy and they they mm-hmm. make the, a similar drill to it it's, same, it's not quite the quality that the simmons drill was but it it does the same thing and uh, you buy your boats at a hardware not at hardware store but a a wholesale dealer that that deals in boats and nuts and hardware and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, it
3: seems like that with drilling I mean, is 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 it is it a lot of work really? I mean, it, more than you really want to get off into that. For way.
1: some people, but I can I can drill a tree. I, I actually I, I did a test with. I took my hooks. I walked up to the tree with my hooks on my stand, and and I took my stand off. Took the hooks off of the stand. Put them on my feet. Put my stand back on my back. Climbed the tree. Safed it off. Hung my stand. Got in it took my hooks off, hung them up, sat down and stopped my stopwatch. It was about 10 minutes, something like that, or 8 eight to 10 minutes at the most. And then I did it with the whippet drill. I walked up the tree and hand drilled 10 bolts high, which put me about 20 foot. And then I, when you get up there, you set my stand up, climbed up in it, and sat down and stopped, and it was about maybe a, a minute longer. So wow. you can drill a hole in about 20 seconds something like that. But you got to, you got a crank on it now, you know? Yeah. But the beauty is you get you get that bit that Easy Cut makes and they make it you put in a cordless drill motor. Yep. And then oh man, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I've it's,
3: seen that attachment for a cordless drill. Yeah, it's just
1: a it's just a bit and, and you drill to the hush puppy, you drill till it stops and you keep the drill uh turning and you just pull it out and it, all the sawdust comes out and you got a clean hole. You insert the boat and you just climb. I drill all my boats knee high, which I can drill four boats standing on the ground, and, mm-hmm. then, and then climb up, and do one at a time all the way up. And then the beauty part of it, I, see I don't leave my stand in the tree, I take it down every time. And, and I just pull my boats out as I climb down, I got a pouch, put it in my pouch. And the next time I go back and hunt that tree, all I do, I don't have to drill anymore, I just insert the boats. And the holes are good for the entire season. And then in and then the spring, when the tree starts growing, you get a growing period, they close up and seal up. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen any damage to trees at all doing that. The only thing is yeah. you got to re-drill your tree if you want to hunt the same tree the next year. Yeah. And you can't re-drill the trees, the holes out, the same holes out. They're real mushy and soft. You can't get a good bite on them. You just move over a little bit and drill. Yeah. And then I've got, of course, i got a ladder. I don't, a ladder... Those ladders, uh, that's more like a semi-permanent stand, you know. Mm-hmm. You put it up, you leave it, and you go back, it's something like that. And then and climbing stands, I'm scared to death of those things. I have no, uh, no I have a lot of fear of those things.
3: Yeah, I, I told Kyler, we were talking the other day, and or, or last time we did this, and I, I had three climbers that were in hunting bull condition, yes. and I sold every one of them last summer because I said, I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm just, I for the for some of the same first of all i don't i'm not particularly fond of the work it takes to climb with a climbing stand and then yeah. you end up not level after you've done mm-hmm. all that work and Yeah, something you know, about
1: putting that stand off on a severe unlevel position and as you go higher it yeah. comes down and it might even go back down like yeah
3: this. it it just it all and i and i know you know I, i've heard so many stories and they don't feel safe right you know and and i just i got out of it myself because
1: i don't like the sticks they're too bulky and, and hard to pack i mean that woodpecker drill i got a little old bag not much bigger than your hand and i can hold 12 boats in it in my drill mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it weighs about four pounds you get you get a dozen grade eight hardened three eighths boats six inches long you're gonna get a little weight in it but it's so compact I put it on my belt, you know, my climbing belt and I don't even know what to say. Oh,
2: yeah, that's a lot lighter.
1: Well, um I and and excuse me, and I had I had strap on steps and rope steps, you know, for hunting public land that, that spurs were illegal
2: stuff like that. I've I've kind of I've caught myself a few times feeling a little bit like the Jehovah's Witness <laughs> for lock ons. Uh uh-huh. where where I feel I'm so such an advocate for it that I'm you know, telling people in traffic the, the advantages of, of hunting a lock-on system over, over a climbing stand. And not just for the safety reasons of it, because technically, there is a chance of a, of a, a climbing stand slipping or a cable breaking or something like that. But a climbing stand's is only two parts. There's a, You're generally... Within the, uh, you can say the confines of the climbing stand, you, there's a, you can say there's less of a chance of you quote unquote falling out, especially if it has a bar around it like a, like a summit viper or something. But um, the thing that was kind of hard for me with lock-ons is there's so many pieces to it, if you will. There's so many things you have to attach to a tree or drill a hole or if you've got four climbing sticks and then get to the top of your climbing stick and hang your ladder, hang your uh, your lock-on. But the advantages outweigh the disadvantages yeah. 10 to 1. I mean, the, the, the number of trees you can hunt, it opens up your world as to uh, as to opportunities. of, And I found this when I was hunting traditional. I'd always want to be maximum 20 yards from my best guess of where that deer is either going to come from or where it's going to be for me to get a shot. Yeah. And when you're hunting a climbing stand, your perfect tree, quote unquote, might be thirty yards from that. It might be fifty yards from that. Right. It might put you out of bow range, you know. Um, but uh, I've still got climbers. I, I use them for guests a lot of times because I don't hunt them very often. Um, I'm kind of like you, Warren. I've got one stand that that's, yeah. that's that's that is my go-to pretty much.
1: Well, I yeah. made a big, huge change about mid-season last year. You know, I, the older I get, the more safety conscious I've been. You know, when I first started hunting. I didn't even use a safety belt or a safety harness or anything. I just, the only thing I used a safety belt for was for a lineman's belt. When I got it, to a desired height, I'd use it to hang my stand, mm-hmm. to be hands-free so I could hang my stand. And then when I'd get on the stand, I'd take that thing off because I didn't want it bothering me. And then I got where I would take a rope, and, and my lanyard, I'd actually hook it around a tree, you know, just for safety factor. I don't know how safe I was. It probably wasn't very safe. And uh, In fact, I know I wasn't. <laughs> just never used it. And then from there, I tried a, a, a full-body harness, and I hated that thing. It just restricted me. I, I lost several chances to kill deer off to my right side because it took a turn. I'd get hook up, and I'd sit down, and I couldn't take my hooks off because it wouldn't let me bend far enough forward. It was just aggravating, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a rock-climbing harness, and that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I felt safe with it and everything. But this past year, I went to a saddle it's an aerial hunter kestrel saddle
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that thing is awesome it's impossible to fall with it you can't fall with it because you're hanging it you're sitting in
2: it all the time yeah ex- you can't fall out you can't turn upside down so explain to people what because because that's something that's fairly foreign down here uh Harmon carson hunts out of one uh, up in bosier right. louisiana yep. and and you and Harmon are the only people that i know that hunt out of one yep. but paint paint a picture of what it's like hunting for people versus a stand well
1: First thing it is, my my saddle with all the ropes and everything weighs about three and a half pounds. You get what you got a saddle in it's just a it's like sitting in a saddle swing, you know, at the playground the kids mm-hmm. sit in, except it fits you more like a diaper does. Mm-hmm. And it's got you got a uh, it it buckles. Everything is rated for like mountain climbing, you know. It's it's like rated for five six thousand pounds. So you, and then you got a you got a rope for a lineman's belt rope. For helping you climb the tree and hang your stands. And then you got a, what they call a bridge. And they got a loop on each side of it. And that bridge is probably the average length of it is 24 inches from end to end. And that's what you hook your tether to. So mm-hmm. you, you climb the tree, you hooked up with your lineman's belt, and then you take your tether and you hook it around the tree. That's like you'd safety off of the rock climbing harness. It comes down, and you got a persic knot on it with a carabiner or a uh, what do they call this thing? A Ropeman 1, which is a it's cinder a mm-hmm. they use for rock climbing. It goes up. It, it operates real, real smooth and real easy. And you hook your carabiner off of your tether onto your bridge, that rope right there. And that's what holds you up right there. Mm-hmm. And then... You you snug it up the way you want it. You got to have a platform. You got to have something to put your feet on. Some people use a ring of those mirror steps. Mm-hmm. Some people use a seat off of a, a XOP stand. Yeah, or something like that.
2: Like a lone wolf hand
1: climber. Right. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And and as you take your pressure off your lineman, you put your weight on your tether, and you're sitting there, and you could be a leaner. Which you can just lean back from the tree, mm-hmm. or you can be a sitter. Now you're facing the tree, and that helps you hide from the deer coming. And you can walk all the way around that tree. You can shoot all the way around it. You can shoot sitting or leaning or in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and I mean it's comfortable. They got a back band that comes with it. It's like sitting in a recliner chair. And I, I said, it. I sat in mine for six hours last year. That's the longest sit I made. Which I will sit that long with a lock on it. One sit anyway, you know. And I was comfortable with it, but the safety factor that's why i went to it but now they got a new company coming out called tethered
2: mm-hmm. And they're they making
1: a, a saddle that weighs 15 ounces and it's mesh so it's, it breathes real good and uh, they got all the equipment it's going to be a one-stop one-shot place for saddle hunters they're going to have anything you need for saddle hunting at that place and uh it, it's it's really good they're, they make it a little platform this platform what you stand on it's like like a lock-on stand with, that you would stand on, basically, like a platform of a lock-on stand. don't mm-hmm. have a seat or it, and it weighs uh, two pounds and seven ounces with the strap. Wow. And that thing is solid, locks down. I got one ordered, and I got a mantis. The, the satellite call is the mantis, and the platform is called a predator.
3: So it's, this is probably a very obvious question, but so you your platform or whatever you're using for a platform, you take it up the tree with you and you mount it, and then you climb up above it right. to foot level. Yeah, it's
1: just like putting a lock-on stand on, whether it's a ring of steps or, or, or a regular platform. Or, I tell you, I used my lock-on limit for a platform several times this year, and it it, it was the best of both worlds because mm-hmm. when I see a deer coming, all I had to do is just reach up and, and adjust that rope on one and just give it plenty of slack, and I'm standing on my lock-on like I was doing with a rock climb. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like I trade it for a uh, Trade my rock climbing horns for a saddle that I could sit in, actually behind the tree, and uh, like I say, I'm new to it. But you got it's, it's called getting in saddle condition. You gotta you gotta sit in it while. It's like buying a new pair of boots, and they and they little bother your feet a little bit, but the more you wear them, they loosen up, and you get mm-hmm. your your foot gets used to it and adapts to it. Your body gets adapted to this saddle too. I love it. It's it's, it's a lot more comfortable sitting in that little old bitty lock-on i've been sitting on it well, and, and it's light life. it's super yeah, light that, that that one that uh tether's coming out with that that uh manis, mm-hmm. 15 ounces that's what your stand's gonna weigh and look they got a video out it shows the stand all the ropes all the connectors the carabiners everything it takes is is less than three pounds
2: that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, my like on I've I hunted of a, a Millennium M seven and I've got some helium hawk helium sticks that I took the middle steps out of and that that uh system, those four steps and stand is eighteen pounds. And you're talking you have a you're under five pounds. Well well actually you
1: got three pounds with your with and all your ropes and another two and a half pounds for your platform. So that's yeah. what it's about six pounds. Six but you seven don't steal. And then you take a mobile hunter. Man, he can run instead yeah. of packing him twenty, thirty pound stands. that so, a lot of people the pack, other thing is with the ladders and all that. Yeah.
2: of course, you still got to have a climbing method. Yeah. You know? Now you're so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you are in your uh, your kestrel, you don't wear a, a harness anymore. Your stand is your that, harness. That is your, your
1: stand is your harness.
2: So that's the thing I, I think some people might have trouble wrapping their arms, their, their head around if they haven't seen this style of hunting before. You are, imagine your tether point being above your head on a tree. Right. Um, well,
1: actually, I tether by nose high. Okay. That's where my tether is. And then that tether comes on down between my legs, and then my, my uh, bridge goes from one side to the other the, of the stand. So it's almost, almost like castle. you're sitting in a basket. You're sitting in a, you're sitting yeah. in a swing seat. Yeah. But it is. and then, But it's buckled around your waist, mm-hmm. and it's buckled around your legs. You've got leg straps on each leg, and you've got your waist strap. So it's attached to you. Yeah, it's got loops on it, and they make pouches to to clip into the loop. I'm telling you, it's the best thing since a wheel for That's hunters. That's
2: pretty neat. Yeah.
1: I, I, before y'all leave, we'll go out to Carport and I'll show you mine. And get, yeah, I'd a like little,
2: little look at it. Locke and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about kind of the 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 future of technology of bow hunting, and we had a couple of conversations, and I've had this conversation with a lot of shop owners and and bow techs is that bows specifically have kind of plateaued off as far as performance goes. Um, You know, you've got bows shooting 350, 360 feet per second, um, and some of them can do it at 65, 60 pounds even. Um, But we're also talking about kind of the future of deer stands. And um I have a theory that eventually somebody's gonna come out with a, a carbon fiber deer stand. It's just it's gonna happen. It might be five hundred dollars. They're coming out
1: with carbon fiber spurs, right? Now. Some
2: somebody somebody will buy it. I yeah. promise. Just because look at what happened look at what people are doing out western hunting. And when I went to Alaska, this was rampant. People will pay a hundred dollars for a water bottle because it weighs three ounces lighter. Uh, than something else people will pay a thousand dollars for a tent that weighs less than one pound you know and hey, so, weight is
1: important when you it's yeah, extremely well you what
3: know? well, yeah when you're backpacking
1: i guarantee you I, hey i used to before they got these led lights and everything like that my lighting system and i was i'd hunt for four days in a row i'd hunt four days come home for a couple of days and then go back for another four and lights was a problem you know we had those uh 12 I, those six volt batteries and stuff hmm I bought a coon hunt. Me and my partner, we got coon hunting lights. You know, we didn't use a helmet or nothing. We put it on a headband. But those batteries weighed almost as much as my stand did. Yeah. But we had to have them because you could get about 10 or 12 hours off a charge, you know. And we were gone At least three nights getting out of the woods and three mornings getting getting in the woods, you know, and sometimes we'd have to walk an hour to hour and a half to get to where we was going to hunt, you know, before daylight. And I'm big on the light. I like to see where
2: I'm stepping all the time, you know. So so with all your years of hunting, can you think of anything off the top of your head maybe in the past year or few years that – has been you could say quote unquote released in the outdoor industry that you look at and you think is the most ridiculous thing you you could ever imagine oh yeah i mean you, you know I, i'm a basic
1: type person you know I, I like everything plain and simple and like that and i, I laugh at a lot of this stuff but, but when i see something that i think's good now yeah hey, I, I i really embrace it and I, I share it with everybody i know just you know if it's good enough for me i, I want them to know about it you know and, and but uh, yeah, they got a lot of ridiculous stuff out there. You know,
2: it's, well, I was fishing this weekend and, and and uh had a friend of mine on the boat and he said he, he wanted to try this new lure because he had heard it caught so many fish and blah 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 blah. And so I looked at him and I said, Well it caught you, didn't it? Yeah. Well we had
3: the Kyler and I had this conversation and it's it's really you know, the 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 emotion that people have for success in the woods and killing a deer it becomes a salesman's dream oh yeah you know um these guys for a lot probably a lot of the same reason that guys and and hunters get so addicted to hunting over bait you know they uh they'll do anything they'll do anything Mm -hmm. and they'll buy
1: anything (laughs) absolutely anything they think it gives them an advantage you know that's right
2: and and there's you know there's nothing wrong with that I, i there's a lot of people out there that I know they have very limited time off work, and they have very. And I honestly think that that's that is the thing that a lot of these outdoor companies are, are really trying to twist the knife on you on is is they want you to think that if you use this product, doesn't matter if it's a feed or if it's a you know camouflage or a whatever, yeah. that you'll kill something every time you go. And that's and people bite onto that because everybody wants to be have a hundred percent success rate. And there's you know? so
1: many ways they can promote a product now too. You know, oh, yeah. social media and all the video, man, they can come up with some stuff that really think you're messing up if you don't get get that product. Oh, I, absolutely.
2: But um well, what what advice would you have, Warren, for some people getting into bow hunting? What what would if you had some basic things that they needed to focus on, what would that be? wow i don't know there's so much involved into it you know it's a it's a it's, combination
1: of a it's lot it's gonna be a of long
2: factors. long podcast series i'm <laughs> hoping so we can do more but yeah it's
1: it's it's a combination of uh woodsmanship you know knowing your animals you're hunting what they do and their habits it's uh knowing your gear that you need and the gear that you don't need and yeah it's uh shooting you know you got to be able to shoot and and uh of course uh, you know, I'm a little biased, but it's a whole lot harder to get proficient with a with a traditional bow, and it is a wheel with sights and all that. You know, so it's it's just study it, study it, read all. You know, the, the first deer I ever shot at years ago, I made I made a a, a perfect bad shot on it. <laughs> I hit it dead center in the shoulder. You know, it, I was so overwhelmed with a chance to shoot at a deer. This was back in '68, I think it was, and and I hit the deer, and the deer deer run off with air arrow sticking in his shoulder not very far and uh you know i didn't even have a flashlight i had to drive 15 miles to the store to buy a flashlight i never thought about looking for one after (laughs) after it got dark and then uh and then I, i of course i couldn't find it i found my arrow about a week later about 100 yards from there you know and uh i shot it with old deadhead broadhead i've been practicing with for two years shooting dirt now i never thought about shortening. i didn't know oh, you had man. a short one so you know you need a lot of education but i didn't have any education uh benefits back then now you got you got video you got uh internet you got all kind of stuff that you can learn from just take the time to study and learn and talk to somebody that's been there and done that and try to find out something from them, you know, just do what you can. Yeah. But you, to be really successful, it can't be a hobby. It's, you got to have a burning desire. It's got to be something you live to do, and you want to do it and do it as good as you possibly can, and you're going to put a 100% into it. Anything less than that, you're just going to be a weekend warrior, basically. Absolutely.
3: I think it's hard to be uh, – I think you'll probably agree. It's hard to be a good archer. And classify yourself as a weekend warrior, right? Uh, we talked about that um, with Chad on a previous podcast, where we're all so obsessed with the process, yeah, you know, and put so much into it because there's something about doing it this way, right? And you know, at the in the same breath, in that conversation, we talked about how it, it should it should be important to you to um, to go through the process, to go through the motions, and become obsessed with it. Make it a passion before you go and sling a sharp razor blade at a living animal. That's right. Because it's, it's there's a lot to it, and that's, that's our obligation as outdoorsmen, you know, so.
1: And you got to be prepared. You know, something I've always done that's been helpful to me, in September I start shooting out of a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got a tree right there in the yard. I, I drill it. Of course, I, I've been doing it for a long time, a lot of years, but. I got a tree, I put a stand up in there, and every evening I take a dozen arrows in a quiver, and I climb that tree, get in that stand, safety off, just like I'm hunting, the exact same hunting. I might even sit there 15 minutes before I take my first shot. And I got targets scattered all around at, at deer-shooting distances, mm-hmm. real-world deer-shooting distance, and I'll shoot them a dozen arrows, and I climb down. And I do that three times. Well, that's 36 arrows I shot under hunting conditions. Not only am I getting learning to shoot, and it's different shooting out of a stand than it is on the ground. I don't care what anybody oh, says. Yeah. I'm getting used to shooting out of a stand. I'm getting used to being in a stand because it's been six or seven months since I've been in a tree stand. And when you first get in it, it takes a while to get comfortable in that height and moving around like you have to do. Plus, I'm getting the conditioning of climbing that tree up and down three yeah. times. So when the season opens a month later, it's like I've been already hunting every day for a month. So I'm I'm ready to go, and if that's if, great advice, that people is. should
3: take those things to heart because it's how many guys do we all know that go out and grab a bow and they they shoot a few times before before October first, and then they load up their four wheeler and their truck and they go to the camp and they shoot and miss mm-hmm. or wound deer, you know, because they're not that prepared and they don't do that much uh or those kind of steps to prepare and
1: and it, yeah and, and doing that you know you, you've got a process worked out and, and if you don't do anything you get all your stuff together to go on your first hunt i guarantee you're going to forget something or you're going to do two or three things wrong that you wish you'd done right before before you get up in the stand and get settled and then you're going to be uncomfortable up there for the first couple of hunts because you hadn't been there for so yeah. long you know but if you do it start september doing that every, every day or day three days a week even You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be zoned in on the time.
3: Well, I think even if you don't care, if you're listening and you don't care at all about the, I hope (laughs) you care a lot about the obligation to, to be a good hunter and a conservationist and do your part before you go shooting at animals. But even if you don't, if you're just obsessed with the kill, if you don't want to feel the, uh, the, the stinging burning hurt that, that, you know, you missed your opportunity or, Mm -hmm.
2: or whatever
3: emotion it is I'm trying to define there, it's it's like anything else. We, we all we all uh, indulge in sports in some way. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of success had on any ball field without a lot of preparation. Right. Absolutely. And this is not that much different.
1: Condition is real important, too. I tell you what, uh, nothing to send you to the house quicker than fatigue. When you get yeah. tired, all you want to think about is, I'm going home, you know. Mm-hmm. Going, yeah, and if you you stay in shape, you know, I like to walk. I'm sure you see me walking down the road a lot of mornings and everything. I like to walk, I work out with weights, uh, elliptical machine. I I shoot my bow every day, just about. You know, it's just if you like to do this stuff, you better keep doing it because if you don't use it, you're going to lose it as you get older. I guarantee you, that.
2: Well, I think, uh, I think something. If I had one thing I wish I could, I could really get through people's minds as they get into bow hunting. I wish I knew what I didn't know when I started. <laughs> I know that sounds—that's something that you can only have in hindsight.
1: That's just getting experience, so.
2: though. It, it is. I guess that is how you build experience. But I wish. Uh, if I could wish anything for somebody getting into the sport is I wish that they did not struggle the hardest way possible to get good at proficient at something the way that, that I did specifically. Now I'm stubborn as a mule when it comes to that anyway. But what I'm saying is I wish I had done uh, more research on something. I wish I had uh, listened to podcasts or watched more videos and things like that and learned, what did Warren Womack do wrong? What did Locke do wrong when he started hunting? And for me, a lot of it was scent control. A lot of it was staying location and wind direction, and those are all hard lessons learned by unsuccessful seasons. But the reality is, is once you become proficient at bow hunting, especially Warren, your style of hunting, you feel like king of the world when you're good at it. You really do. I mean, it is a, it is an is an emotion and a level of e- elation that is unmatched um oh
1: it's a thrill you know the i get as big a kick out of finding the right tree as i do yeah. after the kill you know because you know you might walk i've I walked miles and miles and days and days looking for that primary feed tree the one a deer has selected as a primary feed tree for the whole area you know it, it might last two days it might like uh, 10 days last 10 days but but at that time that's the tree in that area that all those deer coming from coming to and I find that thing. Sometimes it takes my breath away. You know, you mm-hmm. you look at this ground and, and you got this crown of the tree, big crown of the tree, and they got a drip line. Everything outside that drip line that crown is gonna look normal, untouched. Everything inside that drip line is disturbed. Mm-hmm. It's pulverized. You got deer droppings in there. You got acorns falling one at least every thirty seconds. You're gonna hear an acorn drop out. You can have birds, squirrels mm-hmm. and coons possibly in that tree working it it's the primary feed tree it's, it's a honey hole for the whole area when you find that it'll take your breath away you can't you can't leave it most you, time you, i got my stand with it and i'm gonna climb on it right there i'm gonna look for a tree downwind because usually it's in big woods i don't know where to bed in there area mm-hmm. i don't care where to bed in there. i just know the deer are going to come from and they can come from any direction those big big woods like that so i found a tree downwind 10 yards climb it Load air. I'm expecting to kill the deer. I'm not sitting in some place <laughs> hoping the deer yeah. walks by. I'm expecting him. I'm waiting on him. And, I'm, and, you know, a lot of times they don't show up, but a lot of times they do, you know. And if it's the first time you've been there and those deer have been coming there for three or four days in a row, hitting them acorns, and nothing's happened, they don't know I'm there. They just come in like they always do. You walk in, you zip an arrow. And that,
2: field. I mean, that just that just skyrockets your confidence. Oh, doesn't, it, doesn't it? it? Yeah. I was in a. I, I took Garrett Ramsey hunting with me about two years ago, and um, I, I put him over a hot red oak like what you're talking about, and I was hunting over a little um, a little food. It was not like what a food plot. It was just a a grassy area in between a, a known thicket bedding area. And that Reddick, I was 100 yards from him. And it was an afternoon hunt, and this uh, this is just typical Louisiana. A rainstorm pops up. Cold front moves in. If The rain lasted, no joke, five minutes. Temp dropped 15 degrees, and my phone buzzes in my pocket. It's Garrett Ramsey. He goes, you might as well go ahead and pull your bow back, <laughs> This is what he says. <laughs> Get ready, because it's about to go down. And do you know, and I will never let him – live this down and I'm so glad I'm saying this recorded on a podcast. He had five bucks walk out on him. Five within 20 yards and he had three arrows and he missed all three times. <laughs> and, and, and he's going to die when you tell that story right here right there. <laughs> and he I mean it are he will never live it down. Uh he missed all three times. Actually hit it one he hit it one at times and we tracked him, but that deer lived and um and a few weeks later he sent me a, a, uh, a picture he went on ebay and bought a fred bear eight arrow quiver <laughs> <laughs> and, that, he lo- and he that. loads that thing up well, let me tell you you know I, i've always been big on hunting as
1: soon as it quit raining never done much good on a hard rain or anything like that but yeah. when it quits i mean i've seen it time and time again. Those deer start moving well i knew that and i was hunting in a growth state one time years ago i think it was 85 1985 i was in a club there and i make an evening hunt and I, I set up, and I could hear this rumbling behind me, you know. And I said, well, it's going to rain. I said, I'm going to get a little wet, but it's going to just blow by. And I said, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot a deer. Because mm-hmm. I was on a good feed tree. I thought I was on a primary feed tree. Well, the rain came, and, man, it was ugly. And it rained, and it rained. And I said, yeah. And an hour and a half later, <laughs> you know, I was stuck. I said, well, I'm
2: already. I hope this pays off.
1: Look, yeah. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, those what are those, 16-inch lacrosse cross boots? Come on, mm-hmm. up- I, yeah, water was coming out and overflowing. Oh, because man. it was—it's was going to my leg and going down in my boot. I had my pants tucked in my boot, and I filled both my boots up with water, and I was soaking wet. And it rained till dark. I got down and ran. <laughs> <What> about, <laughs> I made a bad decision. I, sometimes, I you, sometimes you're the hammer,
2: sometimes you're the nail, yeah. right? That's
1: where them cell phones come in handy now. You know, if it started doing that Pop now, I checked, yeah, I checked my radar mm-hmm. and say, "Well, that's not going to be nothing." I said, "I better get out of here," you know.
2: Yeah.
3: I, I was gonna ask one thing. I was gonna ask you. You mentioned you know you were hunting in a club in Gross Tate, and I'm 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 really just engaging uh, the conversation because I think it's it's awesome content to talk about this style of hunting. Um, you know, so for the guy who hunts in on, on a small track, you know, a 200 acre track, and that's yeah. he pretty much knows that it, at times during the year, um, there's going to come a time in the year where there's really not a primary feed tree on his property. Absolutely. And uh, he's he's hunting a deer herd that's shared with the neighboring properties. You know what's what 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 are what do you recommend to that bow hunter that wants to bow hunt all year? And um, you know what what kind of tactics and tricks have you used over the year when you found yourself not really able to walk and find that tree?
1: Yeah, well, you know I, I love hunting over fi- primary feed trees, but that's not the only way I've killed deer. I've killed deer a number of different ways. I, I coined the phrase flow area. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not a funnel area it's not a definite travel area it's just an area that the deer move going from point a to point b and they're taking advantage of the thickness of the woods or elevation they're trying to stay as hid as they can going and i call it they just kind of flow through an area from a to b just to get there using the safest way that they possibly can i've hunted a lot of observation how you said observation? Observation. Observation. Thank a lot of observation stands, just to find those places. You know, a place where I didn't have a hunt. You know, I'm hunting, but I'm more watching area. And if you can find through an observation stand where deer are traveling through like that, and you move in closer to it, it's a it's a reason that they doing that, and they're going to continue to do that mm-hmm. until something changes to make it different from what they have now. And I've killed a lot of deer on those flow areas, like I call them that's
3: interesting i've never heard that well you said you coined it I coined it yeah but that is but it makes a lot of sense and you know
1: you can look at woods yourself and and they look pretty open and everything, but you can bet they got places that's a little bit thicker in there and a little bit lower where they can hide and they know how to pick their way through there well Mm -hmm.
3: how many times do you sit in the in the in the woods in more or less open open country i mean not not a field but you know not in a not in a pine thicket and you're watching a deer, and you you know you look over your shoulder and look back and you can't find the deer, and it and it, it's in the it's in open open timber right that's in front right. of you, and then the next thing you know it's thirty yards over here. That's right. Well, that's that's
2: because the, deer just morph from yeah. one place to another. They have
1: portals. <laughs> and see those those yeah. does, a, a doe. The only thing that makes a, a a doe easier to kill than a buck is there more. Uh, active in the daylight hours right they, they got a fond they bring it up they got to raise that fond they got to teach that fond mm-hmm. how to navigate what to feed on when to feed and all that so they're more active but they're a lot more uh, uh, Weary. uh wary wary yeah. wary than a bucket now buck, i've seen a buck stand in one place for 30 minutes and never move i mean he's just standing there he's in no hurry and he, he don't have a time to be anywhere he's standing there for 30 minutes and then once he's satisfied everything's safe he'll flip his tail and when he walks, he strides. He don't look to the left. He don't mm-hmm. look to the right. He knows what he's doing. And a doe, she's, she's just looking behind every tree. She thinks yeah. a booger's going to jump out on her. <laughs> I,
3: I told a, a good friend of mine who's who's been hunting um, probably the last four or five years, and most of it with me, and he's just getting into, into bow hunting. And I told him that exact same thing last year. We rem- I remember one day we're just sitting around the truck having a long conversation. I said, look, you know, he's asking me about – you know, kill, killing a, a mature buck, you know, a, a, a not a trophy, but just That's an right. older deer. And I said, you know, I said, man, you know, what you need to really kind of focus on and think is the hard part is to get to that moment. But once you get to that moment, he's easier to kill than a doe because he is the biggest and baddest thing in the woods in his mind. And once he's committed to it and decided there's not danger there... He's not paying you any attention, especially Absolutely. obviously with rut. But when he's cruising and he's flowing, yeah. Once he, once you get him on his feet and you get him moving around you, he's way easier to kill than a doe. Yep. Way easier. He's
1: very confident. doe's not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point.
3: But I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I've also experienced, and not probably not nearly as often as you have, but I've experienced that same thing where you see that deer get up out of his bed or approach an area, and he he won't wander the way a doe does mm-hmm. but once he does once he decides he's going to pass through the area you're in you can stand up and turn around and see. you know he just just don't do the same yeah.
2: so well y'all have anything else y'all want to add we're going to wrap this up I think it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you inviting us out to your place, Warren. Oh, I'm glad to have you. I appreciate
1: your interest in having me on. No yeah. problem. No Enjoyed problem. It.
2: We'll uh, we'll we'll have to do more of these in the future once the season gets started, and maybe do some season updates. But uh, thank you very much, and we're gonna sign off. Y'all be good until next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anybody you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info@louisianabowhunter.com or send us a PM on Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be sure to get back with you. We also want to say a big thank you to our two sponsors, Cousins Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We appreciate everything you do for us, and we could not put this podcast on without you. Make sure that you're following Louisiana Bowhunter on instagram on facebook and also louisiana where we make sure to update daily with new information pictures videos and articles about deer hunting in the state so we'll see you every monday at 8 a.m until next week thank you